Each time I visit my son, I feel the eyes of every passerby on me as if they know where I'm heading. Past the grim Victorian gates, it's a different world for me. My handbag is searched. I get to keep a few coins and change only for the cafe. My possessions are bundled into a small locker. Passing through the security scanner, my shoes, belt, coins in a shallow tray, I could be at an airport ready to embark on an exotic holiday. The full body search on the other side brings me back to reality. I am then ushered into the visiting room, 30 sets of metal tables, each with four chairs attached, are pinned securely to the linoleum floor. Children's toys spill over in the far corner of the room, reminding me of the playgroup I used to visit all those years ago with the child I'm here to see today. The prisoners enter, dressed in non-discreet track suits and fluorescent vests. I spot my child, 21 years old, but forever my child. He walks towards me and I force a smile. Prison guards watch every move to sit either end of the hall in chairs raised on platforms. Am I allowed to hug you? I ask. It is prison, mom, not a monastery, he says, and we embrace. We sit down at the table and engage in small talk. What is his cell like? Is the food awful? How about the other prisoners? But I don't like the answers. Why should I? It's not meant to be a summer camp. Coming up next, the author of Doing Time with My Son, Betty Blaze. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Thank you for having me, Dr. Shields. Hey, welcome, Ms. Blaze, to the show. So I, I, I read an excerpt to you that sort of set the, the set the tone for what it was like when you first walked into prison to see your son. Share that moment when you first walked into the prison to see your son. Well, the um, insight that you just read was right on point. It was probably one of the most horrifying experiences that I had ever had in my life. Um, it was so... It was such a violating um, situation for myself being that I didn't, um, I was not there because I did a crime, but I felt as, as though I had. But as I maneuvered my way through all of the process, and it is a long process, um, just to get to your child, it's, um, 
it's it's just a horrible feeling um, until you get to where you're going through all of the security that they have and all the padding down and all the searching and removing uh, removing clothing and and then finally you get into the waiting room and you sit there and you just sit and watch and nervously you're sitting there waiting to see I'm sitting there waiting to see my son for the first time in this situation and um, only after I saw him was there a sense of some type of relief that he was okay um, even though he was there he was okay so was this your first time ever going into a prison it was my first time going into um, an adult an adult uh, facility which is um, a lot different from the juvenile facilities and so, so it, it's a real life experiences going going through that. So I'm sure nothing could have compared or prepared you for this. I'm sure like watching TV and doing all those other things. I'm sure nothing could have prepared you for one is walking into the prison. Then secondly, having to go in there to visit your visit your son. Now, the very first time you went to visit Terrence, uh, and we're going to talk about the short book shortly. But the very first time you went to visit Terrence, did you go by? Did you go alone? I did not. Um, my best girlfriend, who's been by, who was by my side through the whole situation, um, went with me, and she was the person that I was most comfortable having to share that time, that moment with of of seeing him for the first time, um, really uh, visiting at a, a lockdown facility. So before we jump into the amazing book, Doing Time with My Son, if you're just joining us, you're listening to author Betty Blaze, the author of Doing Time with My Son. Uh, her son Terrence is, wasn't able to join us today, uh, but she'll talk about sort of what he's doing. Let's talk about let's talk about Terrence. Describe de- describe the child that that grew up, you know, in Baltimore City. What was his life like? And then and then I want you to describe when when things start to go in a different direction. Well, uh, as as I stated in in the book, which you're going to get into, is that. He was just a perfect child. He did all the things that a mother would be proud of. Um, and, and from pre-K all the way through school up until his teenage years when things started to take a turn. But he played baseball. He went to private school. He was an altar boy um, at uh, St. Bernardine's. He did everything that a mother or parents would be proud of. And um, I couldn't have asked for a better child. He obeyed everything. He paid... Um, Attention to all the rules and all the details of the rules in our house, his curfews, all of those things. Um, I didn't have to worry about. He was always on point what my expectations were for him. And so when did things change? Did something happen in your life that caused him to change? Or, you know, what, what actually happened? Well, it's something that I share um, to be very vigilant of, of things that, that you see different in your child right away to address them. For Terrence, um, he lost four men in his life that um, were very important to him, Um, one being his father and then his grandfather, and then my husband who had been in his life since he was five years old, who he was very attached to um, and speaks very highly of um, in the book of what his role was in his life. And then shortly, six months later, my father, Big Dad, died. And right after that last death, I noticed that some behavior um, changes were were coming on him, Um, not meeting his curfew, 
um, just doing things that was unexpected. And I and I I don't say that I missed them. I addressed them. I we had canceling. We both went to canceling because it was just a devastating couple of years for the both of us. Um, so I thought I did all the right things, but somehow I missed that piece. And I only learned really of that piece as he became uh, an adult and started thinking back with his his right mind, I say. And so so you said you did provide counseling because, you know, this misnomer is that black women are raising black boys don't provide, you know, black folks don't believe in counseling. They don't believe in therapy. We say we say we will just deal with the pastor or we'll deal with the priest or we'll deal with we'll deal with whoever is in clergy, a clergy person. But you actually took him to counseling. You, you guys both went to counseling. We both went. We both went to counseling. Um, we did it together, and we did it separate because it was my understanding and talking to a, a counselor that he would share more if I wasn't in the room. And so that's what I want, wanted to happen. I wanted him to get out the things that was causing him to change. Um, but while doing that, he, re- I think he realized at some point, even though those men of substance were no longer in his life, that he needed a male in his life, and so at that point, he started gravitating to some of the older kids, and um, unfortunately, he looked at them as mentors, and they may have been, but um, a lot of them had already been in to some criminal situations, and so he learned some some real hard lessons out there, um, you know, by looking for this mentor who he thought would be good for him, but he later found out that that wasn't uh, the route, the route he should have gone. And so what, what, what are some of the things that, that Terrence got involved in uh, as a young man growing up in Baltimore city? What are some of those things he got involved in? So the first thing I would want to share with, with anyone that's raising a young boy at the minute, the onsite of something different, something out of the ordinary is the time to start working on it. For Terrence, it was one night he was, about 13 years old, I had gone to sleep, and some of his friends came around uh, where we lived, and he went out. One of them had a scooter, and uh, Terrence took a ride on the scooter, and the police stopped him, and he thought that they were going to bring him home because he was 13, but mm-hmm. I think they did a ski attack, and they took him to the police station, and they had to call me. And so his fear um, was more of me coming than the police locking him up. And so after that, it didn't. He really didn't go to court for that. It was more of a scare tactic, but somehow that didn't work either, because after that, each incident became bigger and bigger. Um, involved in uh, with other other people and getting caught in stolen cars, um, and then it just escalated to. Um, it's almost like you know doing a drug where you may start off with marijuana and end up doing heroin because you're going to keep testing the water. And he tested and he tested. He, he got caught in a stolen car for like two or, three, two or three different times, and finally he got six months. And apparently that wasn't enough. The next time he got 18 months, the next time he got about four years, and then finally he escalated himself to get 20 years with 10 suspended, and he did, he did about nine of those years. And so what? So so Terrence was spending nine years in prison. 
So now he's there. You haven't started writing this book yet, but we're going to get to sort of that. We're trying to sort of the, the build up to that. So what are some things that can you talk about some things that you did uh, for Terrence while he was there that that other mothers that may be listening to this broadcast um, that they could do on their own to stay connected to their sons or daughters? Well, well one of the things that I, I love to say to parents and, and I and I did it to the best of my ability is to know who your child's friends are and to pay attention to who, what their living situation is. Because if you have a friend that um, is selling drugs and that's the behavior of their household, then that's not where you want your child to be. So you need to not just know who the friend is, but you need to know where they come from and who are the people that are in charge of their life. The other thing that I share, and, and I had no problem doing this, and, and, and my son will share this with you, I did searches in my house. I went in while he was in his room. I didn't wait till he was out, and a lot of parents have said to me, well, that's invading his privacy. Well, I didn't feel like it was because it was my house, and house. anything that was in my house was going to become my responsibility. That's right. So if they, if somebody came, if the police came to my house and they found drugs in my house, I was going to jail. I had too much to lose. So I did random searches, empty drawers, looked under rugs, just everywhere. I started to think like a criminal so that I could know where to go look for things. Um, the other thing is just have some regular conversations about what their day looks like. You know, um, I know that we are all busy and we all have to work. But we still have to play that other, that most crucial role as being a parent. So we need to know how their day was, you know, what, what, what went on in school, um, how things were. You want to you always try to keep a dialogue open so that they don't shut down on you because when they start doing those type of behaviors, they're going to try to avoid you by any means. So I like to, I like to say I invaded his space. Because at, at a certain time, he wasn't coming to me sitting on the end of my bed like the young man that I used to know and just having a conversation. And then, but you also, so, you also talk in the book where you sent him, car, didn't you like go to the dollar store and you and you, you purchased a ton of cards and you sent them to him? Yes. So while he was away, well, when we, when the door was closed and we knew that this is where he was going to be for a number of years, I had to rethink how I was going to make it through this and how we could best support each other, really, because he's my only child and we were each other's. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to go the monetary route. I'm not going to have him um, telling me that he needs this and he needs that. I had, I had came to the realization that the state was going to provide his every need. The guilt that I thought I had while he was there and trying to provide him with all these things that he said he wanted or needed, I was able to shut down with that and provide him with the things that I knew was going to make him a better person. And so every Sunday when I got out of church, I went to the, to the card store and I bought seven cards and I numbered them one through seven. And every day I put one in the mailbox. So I wanted to make sure that he had a connection from home to there, that he was an outcast, that he felt that he was not a part of, of our home and our family anymore. And that was probably one of the, the most beneficial things that, that happened to him while he was there is just knowing everything that was going on in home at home. So 
Now, and I have to share this because now you can't send cards, so I'm telling mothers, find the cards you want and snapshot it, Photoshop it, and, and send it because you can't send cards anymore. Go ahead. But you can always keep. Betty Blaze is keep, tech, tech savvy now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but make sure that there's something coming from home. If you can't do it every day, but at least make sure because I only put myself in his place and imagine that there's guys there that every time the mailroom comes through, they never call their name. And that's got to be heartbreaking to think that your whole family has disconnected from you because of what you did. So now we've heard the story of how, how Terrence got incarcerated. If, you, if you're just tuning in, you listen to Betty Blaze doing time with my son, a mother and son's enduring love through incarceration. You guys got to see this book cover it is amazing. It's actually let's talk about the book cover, Betty. I, I love the color, <laughs> uh, your hand and Terrence's hand. Let's let's talk about that. Did, was it Photoshop? Was it the real? Describe it to us for those folks that can't see the photo. Uh, okay, so initially that wasn't going to be um, the book cover. There was a different one, and so one day um, Terrence and I was out at his mother-in-law's house. And I had bought some handcuffs, and I decided I wanted it to. I wanted it to just pop. I wanted. To, I wanted people to know what this book was about, and that I wasn't ashamed. Now let me find. Uh, you just got some handcuffs hanging around your house. I that's know. a whole nother, <laughs> That's a whole nother, uh interview about some handcuffs. A sixty-plus-year-old woman with some handcuffs. You all hear that? You just happen to have some handcuffs. Did they have fur around it? The handcuffs? Also? No, they did. Go ahead. <laughs> no, they did. But I, I wanted the book to be real. I wanted it to really show uh, what the book was about. And so Terrence and I, his wife, who, who was a photographer, um, took the shots. And when I showed it to um, the graphic designer, she did it in a couple different ways. And this one just pops out as, as you. It, it makes you want to pick the book up and say, wow, what is this about? But it's showing how connected I was to him while he was incarcerated. I wanted people to know that I was, maybe I wasn't in a, in a cell, but I was doing every day that he was doing. And I felt that um, that showed, showed it more than anything else, any flowers on the book or anything that was pretty. That's not pretty. To see our hands, and they are our hands. You, you can, can see my ring on there. Yeah, I was going to say you you guys got to see this cover. I mean, it's an orange and brown. Betty is lighter than Terrence. Uh, you can see that she's wearing a ring. I mean, it is an amazing photo. Doing time with my son, a mother and sons enduring uh, love through incarceration. So now let's jump into the book. So we we heard Terrence's story. We heard the story of, of a single mother attempting to raise. A black boy, if, if no one knows anything about Baltimore, it's a, it's a, it's a very hard city to raise a young man of color in. So you, how old, you know, how old were you? So talk about, you know, so how old were you when you start writing the book? Uh, and then, cause I, I, people, people think because they get older, they can't do these things. I just read a story about a woman, 82 years old, that graduated from college in St. Louis. So the, let's talk about the inspiration. Well, we know the inspiration was because of Terrence, but let's talk about where the I, the title came from. How old were you? And then if you could just share an excerpt uh, from the book. Um, and I got a chance to hear Betty last night. She's a part of a a, a series um, that's, that's going across the country through Kaiser Permanente, where they're doing these shop talks. Uh, within they're they're going in beauty salons and and barbershops having these conversations. But let's talk about you know when that aha moment came, Betty, when you decided to write this book. Well, 
it was my first visit um, to Hagerstown. Had never, well, I've been to the outlets there, but I had never been to uh, Hagerstown so you Correctional been, Facility. You shopping out there, but you, you, you had Well, to you know what? I made, I made that, that madness into a nice message for myself and my girlfriend, so we made a day of, of that. We prepared ourselves to make it a happy day. We never talked about anything that wasn't pleasant when we were visiting Terrence. And then we went to the outlets, we went to Cracker Barrels, then we went to the winery, and then we came home. It was a routine for nine and a half years. So coming home the first day, I'm riding down uh, 70, and I said to my girlfriend, you know, I really want, I really want to document this. I want to know, I want to be able to look back and see what our life was or what our life is going to look like looking back on it once he comes home because I'm already thinking of him coming home even though he just got there. And so I said, you know, I'm going to be making this ride. I'm going to be taking this ride for a long time. I want to write a book, and I think I'm going to call it Doing Time with My Son. Because you are actually doing time. I think for those people that are listening, first of all, don't think that this can't happen to your son. Terrence went to a private school. Betty was doing extremely well, raising him with a whole bunch of other people. The village was very, very big. Uh, But you I think people tend to forget you are literally doing time with your with your child, with your niece, with your nephew. Uh, if it's your, if it's if it's your if it's your sister's son, you're doing time with your nephew. If it, if it's your sister's daughter, you're doing time with your niece. So I think that was an appropriate title to even call this book. But go ahead. And it just popped in my head. But then I wanted to 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 when I put the second part, a mother and sons enduring love through incarceration, because that was so important that he felt love. Because I think in him feeling the love, it was going to make him, at some point, it didn't happen right away, and I need to let folks know that. It didn't happen right away. He was a knucklehead for two years that he was there. I visited him one time when he was locked on lockup, and I said, how can you be locked, can you be on lockup when you're locked up? I don't get that. And I promised him I would never visit him under those circumstances again. That was too much. And so it never happened again. But I wanted him to always feel that love, whether it was through the cards. He knew that everybody that was on his phone list was going to answer when he called. It wasn't like, oh, no, that's, here's one of them calls again. No, I made sure that the people that was on my team was going to be available to him when he called. Or, um, and when there was visitors, we, uh, we had a list of the people that we knew that was going to visit regularly. That list started out one way, but some folks got deleted and more folks got added because I was I didn't want him to be disappointed in there because being disappointed, and I learned a lot of these things through some of his bad behavior there, why it happened. I mean, you have to... You, you really have to be strong inside of a correctional facility because there's so many different type of people in there. There's people that are there that are never going to change. Whatever they're there for, if they come home, they're going back. Their mindset is not going to change. And so their behavior, because people have to understand, everything that happens out here on the street happens inside a facility. So they are able to still live that gangster life or whatever type of life it is inside of the correctional facility, whether it be selling drugs, selling liquor, selling cigarettes, all of those things happen inside. So you have to decide how you're going to make your change. And so in doing that, I needed to make sure that there was no more disappointments in his life while he was there. And that's real important, that you don't have 
lay people around him or people just wanting to be nosy, finding out what he did this time. You know, you have to decide who's on your team because everybody is not a team player. You're, you're so right. I want to jump into some of the things that people have said about this book, uh, Betty Blaze. I finished the book. This is from Latonya Trower. I finished book one and book two and only two words I come to mind are strength and love. You are truly the strongest person I know. Someone named Sienna said, Terrence, I'm so proud of you and the progress you have made in spite of the hurdles. Uh, another person said, I seldom find myself reading. This is a bishop. I seldom <laughs> find myself reading any books for about the, the 20 years except the Bible or books about related to the Bible for a young child. But this book right here kept my attention. So people, I'm telling you right now, Doing time with my son, a mother and sons, enduring love through incarceration is changing lives. It's it's, it's, it's it's having people have conversations. And then who are some of the people who are buying the book, Betty? And share some of the stories of what people may what are saying to you, because I know you're on the road. Uh, what are some people saying to you about the book? One second. Mm-hmm. <coughs> well, some of my feedback is that it's um, grateful that I did this. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so I'm people, sorry. So people are grateful. Uh, They're grateful that, that I was transparent, yes. that I didn't shame myself away from doing it. <coughs> and the things that I'm sharing with them was so such good information. My, my vision when doing the book was to save some folks some steps, the steps that I already took for them. Well, speaking of being shameful, I listened to you listen to you guys yesterday uh doing one of your book signings you mentioned that Terrence can you talk about this Terrence originally he didn't you know when you brought the idea to him he wasn't really on board can you talk about you know how he eventually turned around well when i brought the idea to him he said that was his personal business and you go, and you'll hear that you know they they don't want you sharing their bad behavior. So he said that was his personal business. And I said, there's no such thing as personal anymore because all I got to do is go on traditional case search and find out anything I want to know about anybody. So think about it and then let me know if you want to be a part of it. I'm going to write this book. So he said one night he just woke up and he just started writing and writing and started writing things. And it started to look like something. It started to look like something that might help another mother that may be going through a struggle that his mother went through. And so once he decided that he wanted to be a part of it, I made sure that he was clear that we were going to be very transparent, that we were telling all of the dirt, the drug activity, all of the dirt, um, he was okay with it. But by that time, he had already started working with some young boys up there, and he saw himself and those young boys, but he also saw them respecting him for being honest about what he did or who he really was. And one of the things, Shields, I'm not sure if you were still there last night, but one of the things that he said last night, I've never heard him say, but it was so powerful. He said that he was honest with those boys because most of the guys that come in there, when they get with the young boys, they just want to still hold up that thuggish thing and, yeah, man, let's do this, you do this, let's get in the gang or whatever. He said he was very honest with the young boys. He told them, I had a great upbringing. I went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy. Um, I went to 
I I did all I played baseball. I did little league all the way until I was aged out. He was like, so I did all those right things. So the boys appreciated him being honest, and it made them open up to to know that they were being raised right too, and that they still had a chance. And so I was really proud to hear that. Another thing that he said, and he was sharing this with the parents, is that like any mother, when their son gets in trouble, we want to blame the kids that they're around. My son, I learned this in the book. My son said last night, yeah, my mother always wanted to blame the people that I was around. Yeah, they were bad. He was like, but if she only knew some of the things that I did. (laughs) (laughs) And, And saying that, it made, you know, it made people think of how, you know, we're always trying to transfer our, you know, our child's bad behavior onto somebody else. Because yeah, folks are quick to say, you know, as an educator, I say, not, not my, my son, not my son, not my kid. <laughs> and while like, I was at mother. Well, well, now that we have cameras all over the place, we can actually <laughs> see. The, so, Betty, how old were you when you when you start writing the book? Because I want people to I, know. I wrote, I, I was about 54. And you finished it. How old were you when you completed everything? 64. So as you guys can see, this was not an overnight story. This sort of took some time. So before we get out of here, Betty, can you just read an excerpt from um, you know, an excerpt from your book? If you can read it and, just, and then just give us a little background of why you chose to read that piece or what it actually means to you. Again, we're talking to Betty Blaze, the author of Doing Time with My Son, A Mother and Son's Enduring Love Through Incarceration. You guys got to pick this book, you know, you know, about the book. It says to understand a journey. Sometimes we have to go to go back to the beginning. So you want to read an excerpt for us? So the excerpt that I chose to read most every place that I go is really identifying who I am. I don't want people to mistake me as a person with a Ph.D. who did the research on this. I want people to know who I really am, that I am just like that person that may be reading the book. So I I love this insert. It says, I've worked to relay my own experience as honestly as possible. I'm a mother first, though, and so when it comes to the journey of my own son and the time he served, I have to tell the story of my son first and of the inmate second. This is a book for families, community leaders, and other stakeholders who are truly concerned about the impact of incarceration on individuals and families. I tried to point a clear picture. I tried to print a clear picture of the day-to-day struggles of maintaining some semblance and of normal life when my son was locked up. But it was all—it wasn't always easy. It impacted me and my family economically, physically, and of course emotionally. And I shared with them that they're reading this book and have never experienced firsthand the incarceration of yourself or a loved one. My hope is that this book gives you an, an, a realistic look at a struggle that has become a normal, a nation's crisis. And if you are reading this on, if you are reading this as a family member of an inmate or an inmate yourself, my hope is that the words on the pages that follow help us, help give you voice to a struggle that you know only too well. If I've learned anything from my own journey, is that together we can always move forward with hope knowing that no matter where we come from or what we've been through, what lies ahead, love can endure it all. So so speaking of that, you know, we know love is real powerful, uh, Betty, but was there a moment in your life where you blamed yourself for what happened 
to your son? Because I know as we look at parents across the country and I'm and I'm going into hundred schools, prisons, facilities, there's this blame factor. Is there a moment that you did blame yourself? And then if that happened, what resources were in place for you to sort of come back from that? So there were many moments. And when I say many moments and many thousands of dollars um, that I was feeling that somehow I could have done something different. And that ha- that happens. And I'm telling mothers, only let it happen one time, not over and over and over again. Because for me, I felt that I was trying to overcompensate for the absence of his father. I could never do that. And and I tried really hard. And so at 15 or 9 months, he had a car. He never had a reason to steal a car. You know, at at he had everything that the young guys that were out there selling dope had. He had it. I made sure he had it. Now, I'm not so sure that if that was the right route. I don't know that if I had to do it over again that I would do it the same way. But he, even he shares that. I basically overcompensated. And let me tell you, they can take you on a guilt trip. When you're on that phone with them, and they they can really take you on a guilt trip. It had me going to three different stores, getting three different things that he wanted for an outfit. And until I had that moment where I said, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. And he's not in college where he should be because he had a trust fund set up to go to college. So I had to step back. And revisit myself and then let the the people that were in my circle knew who I was and knew what I did. I had nothing to be um, ashamed of. And so I started to um, I started to get myself together to figure out how I could really best support him. And it wasn't through keeping a lot of money in his commissary or making sure he had the tennis shoes he wanted. None of that mattered. Yeah, I don't know why folks go to prison and they do, <laughs> they do want to blame. They want to blame family members. But now, listen, you put your butt in there. I mean, there's yeah. some, be real clear, there's some folks we know historically that should not be incarcerated because of because of laws and because of DNA and things of that nature. But there's some folks who, once they get there, they want to blame you for not taking care of them because they made this is this still a choice that you actually made. Absolutely. So since we talked about the blame piece, let's talk about, before we get out of here, let's talk about what Terrence White is doing right now. Well, let me tell you, and I and another thing that I share, I knew that I did most things right, and I did the best of what I could do, knowing what I knew as I was raising him. We don't come with it; they don't come with instructions. So, but I knew that he had good stuff instilled in him. I was just waiting for him to reinvent himself. He was raised in in a household with a cousin who is five months younger than him who got, they had the same standards, the same morals, the same raising, the same people in their life. She got three degrees. He went to jail. So I was only waiting for him to get himself together and reinvent himself to the person that I knew he could be. And when I tell you I could not be more proud of him, and if he, if he were graduating from Harvard that day he came home six years ago in August, I couldn't tell you. He is, he is doing amazingly well. He is using all the tools that he had, had instilled in him. He brought them all to the front. He just brought him and his 
his wife and his baby. Well, let me just share this with you. While he was there, I think the biggest blow and and one of his biggest biggest turnarounds was his wife divorced him while he was there, and this was a woman that he loved, and it was painful, and it was probably the worst pain that he ever felt. Moving forward to the good part, he came home in August and October they remarried. They have a four-year-old daughter. He just bought a beautiful home in Abington. They got the two cars, the motorcycle, the white picket fence, and all the things that was, that was available to him. But, you know, sometimes that journey has to go the way it has to go. And for me, I'm grateful that that journey landed and ended good for him because I would have rather visited him those nine and a half years at Hagerstown than at the cemetery. Was well, interesting. Those things were waiting for him there, uh, and he just had to just show up to get those things. That's right. So, Betty Blaze, you have been amazing. Thank you for coming on to Sound Bombing. How can people pick up a copy of your book, and how could they find out more information uh, about what Terrence is doing and doing time with my son? Well, you can actually pick the book up on my website, and that's www.doingtimewithmyson.com. You can email me at Betty, and that's B-E-T-T-Y-E, Blaze, B-L-A-I-Z-E, at yahoo.com, or you can reach me um, at 443-676-0552. Well, Betty, you've been amazed. You've been an amazing uh, guest. I must say something about the publishing company that produced your book, Full Circle Press. Absolutely. Full Circle Press is a socially conscious, purpose-driven, independent publishing house with a deep commitment to contributing to the greater good through helping to write, edit, publish, and market books that matter. We believe, uh, from the website, we believe in changing the world one story at a time, and we envision a world where quality books and literacy resources are available to all. We are educators at heart and are passionate about teaching what we know, sharing resources when and where we can, and empowering others to do and be better. You can go to fullcirclepress.org to learn more about products and programs and services. Um, you've been listening to Sound Bombing uh, with my guest, Betty Blaze, the author of Doing Time with My Son. This book provides a comprehensive look at the impact of addiction and incarceration on individuals and families. It also provides all relevant stakeholders with tools and strategies to help develop programs, communities, and family support that are more responsive and proactive in meeting the needs of boys and young men, especially those who have been caught up in the criminal justice system. Again, thank you, Betty Blaze. You've been amazing. Pick up the book, Doing Time With My Son. This is your man, Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields. You've been listening to Sound Bombing.